wrapping up a series on hope, hope uh, this this Sunday, and and I, I love I've loved this series because uh, as believers we have the opportunity to have a type of hope that you really can't find anywhere else because we we have the uh, chance we have the opportunity to have a hope that um, is more than just like wishful thinking or like I hope this happens in my future or, I hope this changes in my future because the truth is. Uh, a hope that comes from the word of God, a hope that God gives says, I know my future is going to be different than my past. Is there anybody here that would love to have that? Just some things in your future be a lot different than in the past. Is there, is there anybody here that's just... And, and, but the truth is, for, for believers, we have a hope. Listen, not just... Sometimes we look at hope and we go, well, just hope for eternity. And we do have a hope that is connected to eternity. How many of you know that we are infinite beings? Think about that. We really are infinite beings. In other words, we will live forever. And we have hope because there is a life beyond this one. But yet God has given us the chance. God's given us the opportunity for us to have hope in this finite moment of time that we're living on the, on the earth. And so I'm grateful for God and I'm grateful for the hope that we have. And so this morning, I want to jump right into the message. And uh, first, I want to start with this. There, there are certain things that you, you, you do have the privilege of choice. Is, is anybody here thankful that you have the choice in regards to things that, in, in your life? Like, like you, you have the choice as to who you marry. I'm not going to ask for hands. Of who, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to keep moving on that because I, I almost said, who would here believe you got the, made the right choice? But I'm not going to do that, so... I will say this, if, you're, if you are single, if you are single, and I would say be patient, don't get in a rush, don't get in a hurry, because you, you may say this morning, I, I, I just, I'm lonely, and, and I just want to get married because I'm, I'm lonely. Listen, listen, you don't want to get married just because you're lonely, because you can get married and still be lonely. And so you want to make that, that's a good, that's an important choice. And God's given us the ability to choose, and you can choose your career path, you can choose where you eat and what you eat. I mean, how many's ever done this one on the where you eat part? You know, you're, you're just, you're, you're driving around, you know, going, hey, where you want to eat? I don't care. Where you want to eat? I don't know. Where you want to eat? <laughs> Has this ever happened to you guys? This has happened to me on more than one occasion. I eventually caught on. <clears throat> where, 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 where do you want to eat? To Sandy, my wife. Where do you want to eat? Oh, it doesn't matter. Where do you want to eat? She says back to me. Where? No, no. Where do you want to eat, sweetheart? It doesn't matter, John. Wherever you want to eat, it's, it's okay with me. Then I make the decision. Okay, we're going to go eat there. No, I don't want to eat there. I'm like, <laughs> okay. So um, what you eat, you have, you, you can choose your pet and you can choose your friends. How many know, how many realize that choosing your friends is, is really, really important? Who, who, you, who you spend time with and who you open your heart up to is very, very important because your friends, um, they, will, they will impact your life. But, but then there's other areas that you don't, you don't really have a choice. You, you don't have a choice in and you can't change it. And, and one of the things is, is, uh, is your relatives. Is there, anybody, is there anybody here, if you could choose to have somebody different in your family, you would, you'd be like, aunt so-and-so, I mm-mm, no. But, but the thing is, they might be thinking the same thing about you, so, you know. But you can't choose that. I mean, it is what it is when, when it comes to relatives. And then, um, and then uh, you, you, uh, you, you, you can't choose, this is a good one, you can't choose how God works in your life. I think sometimes people want to create their own version of Christianity or like me and God, we got our own thing going. And so I'm going to do my life the way that I want to and invite God into that. Everybody look at me. That's not the way God works. 
Now, God's got a way that he works in us and through us, and he invites us to be a part of that. And I would, I would encourage you this morning, if, if, if you, if you your, your, your uh, process of thinking and your belief in God and how he works was the first example that I gave, scrap that one and hook up with the way that God works. And, and because that, that's the way that he honors. Can somebody say amen to that? But, but here's, here's where I want to dive into this morning and, and unpack this. You can't change God's design. You can't change how God made you and how God designed you. Because God created you to live from the inside out. You can't change that. You have no choice. You may say, Pastor John, I don't believe that God made me. He designed me to work from the inside out. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It's still the truth. We have been created to live from the inside out. As a matter of fact, Jesus talked about this a lot in his ministry. There was one place that, that, that he, he was speaking of this shift. So it's in the Gospels and, and it's before the death, burial, and resurrection. And he's talking about this shift that was coming. It was a, a shift from uh, the, the, the God's people having a, a, a temple or a building-centric religion to a, a direction that Jesus was, was going to shift after his death, burial, and resurrection. How many of you realize that when Jesus came to the earth, it was the great, he initiated the greatest shift of all times in regards to the way that God worked in, in his people? How many realize that? How many realize that, that when Jesus came to the earth, yes, he came to pay for our sins, he came to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And we're thankful for that. Is anybody here thankful that God paid for your sin bill through Jesus Christ, right? So he did that and he accomplished that on the cross. But he did something else and Jesus came to do something else. And that was to shift the way that he worked in and through people. Let me say it this way. To shift how he would work in and through people from that, for, from that, that point all the way towards uh, until, until, until the end. And so Jesus is talking about that here in Luke chapter 17 verse 21. He said, no one will say... Look, here it is, or there it is, talking about his kingdom. The shift that Jesus was, 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 was about to make. But, but watch this. Because the kingdom of God is where it is within you. You see, Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that, that we were made to live from the inside out. And so, and, and, and because of his infinite wisdom and, and the Father's infinite wisdom and the Holy Spirit's infinite wisdom, they said that after, they knew that after the death, burial, and resurrection, that the kingdom was not going to be, a, again, be temple centric, but it was going to be people centric. Can somebody say amen to that? And he knew that. He realized that. That's the reason Jesus talked so much about living from the inside out. Or paying attention to what was going on on the inside instead of always paying attention to what's going on on the outside. Are you with me? Let me give you another example. So, Jesus and his disciples were just, you know, going, just doing life, just doing kingdom life. And they were just doing God's purpose. And, and then, um, you know, there, there were... There were always people that got around Jesus. When Jesus was in public, there were people that wanted to gather around him and wanted to hear what he had to say and wanted to interact with him. But, but there, there were times that there were those that were opposed to Jesus that would sort of infiltrate the crowd. They were called Pharisees. And so there would be a crowd of people and Jesus is teaching and Jesus is talking. And, and then the, the Pharisees would jump in and the reason that they would jump in and, and say something to, uh, to Jesus or question Jesus is because they wanted to catch him. They wanted to discredit him publicly because if they could discredit him publicly, then, then they knew that Jesus, the influence that Jesus had on the people around him would be very limited. 
Are you following that? That's the reason when you read the Gospels, you'll never see the Pharisees oppose Jesus in private. It was always in public. And so here is, here is a, I'm going to take you in Matthew chapter 15. Here's, here's, a, here's a moment, here is a time when this happened. So Jesus has got people around him. The disciples are with him. The Pharisees are in the crowd. And it says in Matthew 15 verses 1 through 3, it says, Then Jesus, then, then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands when they eat. Let me, let me just stop there. Give you a little bit of a Bible lesson. During this time, during this period... The Jews, God's chosen people, had two different forms of guidance. There was the Torah. That was the, the, the Torah came from the Ten Commandments that was given to Moses. And then from that, the, the Levitical priesthood was born. And so you had that. But at the same time, you had what was called the tradition of the elders. So the tradition of the elders, basically, uh, what, it, what, 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 what they did is that they essentially... Uh, took some rules and made up some rules that, that, that may or may not necessarily apply to their life, but it always applied to the people. So they called it, they called it, they called it, um, they called it the, the tradition of the elders. Are you following me? So you had the Torah and you had the, 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 the tradition of the elders. Are you following this? So I just want to give you that context so you'll understand exactly why Jesus did what he did here. So in verse 3, so, so they, basically they were pointing out, they were saying, hey, why aren't your boys washing their hands before they eat? So Jesus is standing there and he's like, you just shouldn't have done that. He's thinking this, right? You, you shouldn't have done that. Because I'm, I'm fixing to let something loose on you right now. How many love it when Jesus would let something loose on the Pharisees, right? So they're accusing the disciples of the breaking the tradition of the elders. So, so Jesus comes right back at them. Here, here it is. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? So why do you break the command of God that's in the Torah for the sake of what your, your tradition? So, so, so I, go back and study this. Just go back and read this like when you get home. I'll read the whole thing because I don't have time to go through the whole thing. But read it because it's, it's absolutely incredible what happened here. So, so, so what happened is in what Jesus is referring to there is, is, is that, that the, the, the elders came up with this idea that would basically created a loophole for themselves. We know the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments is what? To honor your father and your wife. That's one of the big ten, right? And so what the Pharisees had done is the Pharisees had, had created a tradition. And the tradition was that they could say about their goods, about their stuff, about all their belongings. They could say, all of this, all of my stuff belongs to the temple. In other words, I'm committing everything that I own to the what? The temple. Now, the deal was, they could still use their stuff, they could still spend their stuff, but if someone came up and they were like, say they were in need, they could say, no, 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 we, I can't give any of it away because it all belongs to what? The temple. Now, they could still use their stuff. Are you following this? They could still use their stuff, but, but, what, but, 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 but what, what, what they did basically is they tied everything up so they could be wide, they could be selfish. 
So then what Jesus said was, so the problem I have with what you're doing is that, that you are, let, let's say your mother and your father come to you. What you'll do is you'll say, I can't help you, mom and dad, because all my stuff is committed. In other words, I can break the written law for the sake of this tradition. And so Jesus was not having any of that. And that is the reason that in verse, um, so, so when, 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 when Jesus called them on that, it basically ticked them off. So can you imagine the disciples, they have, they, have, they have came at the disciples, the Pharisees came at the disciples, Jesus is defending them, and the disciples are like, yeah. <laughs> so when they're, they're, they leave that moment, they leave the moment with the Pharisees, and they're walking away, and the, and, and the disciples are probably to the Pharisees going, you got that, didn't you? <laughs> Our man Jesus, he, he came through for us. Yeah, nah, 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 nah. You know, they're just... Kind of rubbing it in a little bit because Jesus just, just put them back in their place. Because ultimately, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, you have elevated your tradition above the word of God. That's what you've done. So they're leaving the moment and they're walking away. And Peter's probably going, take that, the Pharisees. Then they get alone. And so Peter comes up to Jesus and he says, um, talking about living from the inside out. Um, hey, Jesus, uh, you know, back there when you're talking to the Pharisees. I really understood every single thing that you said back there. But the rest of the guys, they're, they're a little, you know, not as quick to understand like me. So could you please explain that again? Right? So look at what, how Jesus responds. Jesus looked at him and he responded with this. He said, I love this part. He said, are you still so dull? In other words, why haven't you gotten this yet? Why haven't you gotten this? Jesus asked them, he said, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and out of the body? (laughs) I believe Jesus might have gone something like this. I'm going to take this real slow. Whatever goes into the mouth goes into your little tummy. And at some point in the day, it comes out the other end. Right? And And the disciples are probably like... Okay, Jesus, we got that part. So then Jesus comes to the next part that is super, super important. He says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And that's what defiles them. So what Jesus is pointing at, he said, whatever is in a person's heart and it comes out of their what? Their mouth. That's what God has a problem with. God's got a problem with that. Because what's in a person's heart and it comes out of their mouth, if it's not uh, to build somebody up, it's not to help somebody, if it's to tear somebody down and it's to have behavior that's destructive not just to your life but to others, that's what God has a problem with. And so what he was saying again is that, that, look guys, you were born to live from the inside out. So Jesus knew God's design and he knew the shift that was coming. He knew that. And listen to me. That's the reason, that's the reason the most valuable part of your life. Everybody listen to me. The most valuable part of your life is your heart. I'm not talking about just your physical heart, which you got to take care of that, right? But the most valuable part of your life is your heart. It's what happens on this end. I'm going to come here, okay? You, you thought you, you were going to get away with it because... I started over there. Everybody look in the center part. Everybody look at me. The most valuable part of your life is your heart. The most valuable part of your life is your heart. Over here on the left-hand side. No, you're not going to. I'm going to get on with you too. 
the most valuable part of your life is your heart. Hands down. That is the reason, for this reason, about a thousand years before, there was this very wise man by the name of Solomon. If you're taking notes, you note takers, you've probably been waiting for the first note, first point, right? You're like, Pastor John, how long is it going to take you to get to the first point? That's the reason about a thousand years before Solomon said to guard your heart, to guard it. Guard your heart. Why? Because it's super valuable. And, and, and a matter of fact, Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, above all else. What does that mean? That means make it a priority. You know, everybody has values. Everybody has priorities. You, you realize that, right? Everybody has values. Everybody has priorities. The question is, who has established your values and who has established your priorities? Because Solomon again said, above all else, to do what? To do what? Guard your Heart. What, is that? what does it mean to guard your heart? Well, here, here's, here's what it means. It means that you allow certain things into your heart while denying access to other things. You guard your heart by, by allowing certain things into your heart. But on the other side, you deny other things access. We, we lived out west for several years. And matter of fact, we were just talking to, uh, what is your name again? Kyle Fontenot. We were talking to Kyle just, to, just right before service. And uh, he was talking about, you know, a trip they got coming up and going out west and going out to Wyoming. And, and you know, I, I do miss, miss living in Wyoming sometimes. But when it snows like it did not long ago, like they had 40-something inches in 24 hours, it's like, thank you, Father, for living in Louisiana. Um, but we lived out there for several years, and I remember not long after we moved there, I was talking to a rancher. There were just tons of ranches, a lot of open land, open spaces out there, these big, huge ranches. And I was talking to this rancher one day, and, and I asked how big his ranch was, and he gave me the amount of property. It was like thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of acres. And I said, so, man, that's a lot of fencing. That's a lot of fences that you've got to put up. He said, yeah. And he said, in Wyoming, we have what's called a fence outlaw. Fence outlaw. And the fence outlaw is, says this, that if you don't want something on your property, it's your responsibility to put up the fence to keep it out. And that's the Lord saying amen. <laughs> we got a little something, something going on there. Um, can I move from here? It means okay. I'll just preach the rest of my sermon from this spot right here. But I, when, when, that, when that rancher said that, I thought, you know, that's true about living in Wyoming, but that's true about living in life. If you don't want some things in your heart, it's your responsibility to keep it out. It's not, the, it's not anybody else's responsibility, but your responsibility to keep stuff that you don't want, that you don't need out of your heart. Can somebody say amen to that? And, and, and here, here is one thing, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one. We talked about, again, guarding your heart. You're denying access and that you're giving access. The, one, the number one thing you want to give access your heart access, you want, you, want, you want to give that, you want to make sure the door is wide open, it's God's love. It's, it's important. We have so majored on God's love to us and we're thankful for that. But, but there's another part of the scriptures that's very important. That is the value and the importance of having God's love in you. God's love to you is automatic. God's love in you is optional. 
God's love to you is automatic. You can't change that. God's love in you is optional. But I would encourage you, greatly encourage you, the number one thing that you want in your heart, you want to give access to your heart is God's love. Why? Because love never fails. Love kills selfishness. It will annihilate selfishness. And most problems that people have in their life is you can trace it back to their selfish. That's another message. But anyway... John 17, 26 basically says this. He's talking about God's love being in you. He said, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have loved for me, that you have for me, what may be where? In them. Jesus' prayer, he's talking about disciples and followers of Christ, his followers. And he said, I pray that the love that you have for me may be what? In them. You want to have God's love and you want to give access to God's love. That's the number one thing. That you want to give access to your heart. Because a guarded heart is a healthy heart. And you want a healthy heart. And here's why. Go back to Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23. The latter part says. For everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from your heart. Everything you do flows from what? Your heart. Why? Because God designed you to live from the inside out and you can't change that. The, the, the way that you approach life, the way that you do life, the decisions that you make, the friends that you make, um, the, the, the career path that you take, the way that you raise your kids, everything begins on the inside because everything you do flows from what? The inside. Are you following me? Everything includes, and this is, this is what we're going to stay on for just a minute, everything includes how you view what happens to you. Everything includes how you interpret or how you view what happens to you. Because I say it this way. I work real hard on this statement, so please write this down and go, Pastor John, that's one of the most amazing statements I've ever heard in my entire life. Okay? Listen to this. The content of your heart determines the context of your circumstances. The content of your heart determines the context of your circumstances. You don't always have a choice what you will walk through. You don't always have a choice what you will walk through. You will always have a choice as to how you see it. But how you see it and the way that you interpret your circumstances, your challenges and what's happening in life, the way that you see that, the way that you view that, what determines that, what, gives, what, what determines the context that you have is what you have already placed in your heart beforehand. Are you following me? Listen, there's this guy in the Bible that's an expert at this. I mean, the, the, the guy's brilliant. His name's Joseph. If you ever think you, you've had a bad life dealt to you, you're going through a tough time, just go back to Genesis and read about Joseph. You'll go, my life's not that bad. Let me, let me just, 17 years old, he was sold, into, uh, he was sold to human traffickers by his brothers. 
people that, you know, folks that you're supposed to be able to trust and all this. Uh, they, just, they, just, they just sell him to human traffickers at 17 years old. He's, he's forced to work in a land that he's not familiar with. He's, uh, he's forced to be a slave to this guy named Potiphar. And then, so he gets in there. He's doing a good job. God's hands on his life. He, his, he's, got, he's, he's elevated in authority. He's elevated in all of these different things in Potiphar's house. And then his wife, Potiphar's wife, makes a hit on him. Not once, but twice, several times. And then he does the right thing when she goes for the move. Like, you know, she, she's like, Joe, man, baby, you are hot. How about me and you? You know what Joseph did? He ran like any godly man should do. Run. And she lied. Right? What happens? He hadn't done anything wrong. He's done everything right. You know what? The guy ends up in prison. So he goes in prison and he, he was in prison and he's working hard. He's doing the right thing in prison. And once again, he's elevated this place of authority. He's basically running the place. Everything's going great. God's hands on him. God's favor's on him. I mean, things are going great. And then these two guys that are in prison with him, they have these, dream, these, these dreams and they don't, know, they don't know how to interpret it. Well, Joseph can interpret these dreams. And so Joseph interprets these dreams. And then he says, look, when you get out, don't forget about me. So guess what happened? One of the dudes gets out and did, you know what they did? They forgot about him. Until, until, until the, late, a little bit later, they remembered, oh, there's this guy, this other guy's having a dream and we need to get, you know, we need, to, we need, we need uh, Joseph's gifts. And so, so ultimately, I'm fast forwarding, this is like several chapters in the Bible and several years in Joseph's life, so I'm fast forwarding it. And so, so ultimately, uh, Joseph ends up at the pinnacle of power. He's the second in charge of the, the greatest nation on the planet. It's called Egypt. In that moment, it was the greatest. He was second to Pharaoh. And so, so, so another, one of the responsibilities that he had is, is he had this, this position. Is he, he was over the Department of Agriculture. And, and for several years, he had, been, he had been stewarding his position well. He had been stewarding the resources of the country well. He had been storing up uh, 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 food and he had been storing up grain and all these things because he knew there were going to be bad days coming. How many knows it's good to save because sometimes bad days are going to come? So he's saving and he's doing well. Sure enough, a famine hits. And guess who shows up at his office? It's his brothers. Because they're hungry. Because they don't have any food. Because there's a famine in the land. And so, Genesis chapter 45, verses 4 and 5, we, 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 we pick it up here. It says, Joseph said to his brothers, so stop, stop real quick. So, just think about this. They're standing in the presence of the, most, the second most powerful man on the planet. Their hands are literally, excuse me, their lives are literally... In his hands. So could you imagine the feeling of standing there in front of this man with all his power? I mean, I'm just like probably shaking in their shoes a little bit, right? Then this happens. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me. So I'm like, what does this do? Because they don't even recognize him. How many knows that God can do some things in your life and, and change you so much that your kin folks won't even recognize you down the road? Amen. He says, come near to me. So they came near. Watch this next part. He leans over and he says, I'm your brother whom you sold into Egypt. Could you imagine the brothers 
and the fear. I mean, just panic is taken off on the inside of them. I mean, they're, they're probably regretting that they didn't just kill him. They, you know, they had thought about killing them, you know, back when he was 17. And they said, no, don't kill him. Let's just sell him. That's what we should do. Don't kill him. Just sell him. And so, so some of the ones were thinking, we just should have killed him. Then we wouldn't be here. And I mean, all these things are going on. They're like, we're history. It's over. We're dead. Verse 5, it says, but not be troubled or angry with yourselves. Stop right there. Stop right there. Imagine this. Joseph is sitting there and he says this to his brothers and he knows what's going on on the inside of them. And in that moment, Joseph is not thinking about himself. Joseph is thinking how his brothers may feel at that moment. What would the life be like today if we paid better attention to and more attention to how other people may be feeling in the moment versus just thinking about ourselves? Verse 5 says, but, not, but do not be troubled or angry with yourselves because, watch this, you sold me here for God sent me before you to save your life. But don't be troubled or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to save your life. I was reading this not long ago and there's these phrases that jumped out at me. We're talking about, listen, we're talking about The content of your heart determines the context of your circumstances. How you see things and how you view things. You follow me? Why? Because God created you from the inside out. Everything you do comes from your heart. And there's these these, these phrases that jumped out at me when I was was studying and, and, and going over some things. He said this. He said, go to the next one, please. He said, you sold me, you sold me, but God, but God sent me. Hold, hold that. No, 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 no. You sold me, but God sent me. You sold me, but God sent me. It's the same event. It's the exact same event. You sold me, but what? God sent me. It's the same event. How was it that Joseph was able to see the same thing, but see it so completely different? Here's why. Joseph had made a lifestyle of guarding his heart. You could be sitting here right now thinking, how could a person do that? How could a man that was sold out and and went through what Joseph went through and, and stand before the people that actually did it to him, how could he forgive them that way? How could he forgive them in that moment? No, 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 ladies and gentlemen. Joseph had forgiven them a long time ago. When he was scrubbing Potiphar's floor, he had already forgiven them. When he had, was scrubbing floors in the prison and going through everything that he had gone through in the prison, he had already forgiven his brothers. Everybody look at me. Why? Because he knew the importance of guarding his heart. That's the reason that when he stood there that day, it was true that you sold me, you did that, but this is how I'm interpreting it. This is how I'm viewing it in this moment. God sent me. What you meant for harm, God is using it for what? The good. 
Now, I'm, don't raise your hand, but how many in the room, how many in the room thinks you would have responded that way? How many would be like, <laughs> I just want to remind you. I just want you to, I just want to remind you. Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you what I've been through because of you. Or how many would have looked at it and went, you know what? You did sell me. That's reality. But here's the way I'm seeing it. God sent me. But he didn't stop there. He went on to say this. He went on to say, listen to me. Watch this. God sent me to do what? To save your life. You see, here here, here is how Joseph saw himself. Why? It's because he'd been guarding his heart. And he saw himself as a lifesaver. He saw himself as a giver of hope. You see, we've been in this series and, and, and we've talked about us having hope, which is good. But we're also called to be givers of hope. And that's exactly the way that Joseph saw himself. Joseph saw himself as a giver of hope. He was in the position to pass hope along. He was in that place where he could pass hope along. So wrap up this morning, if I could have someone on the keyboard, if you don't mind. Reminds me of a parable that Jesus taught. Jesus taught a parable about Several parables, but this one parable that he taught was about the 99 and 1. You familiar with that one? That, that Jesus, Jesus taught this parable and he, he, he talks about a, a shepherd having 99, uh, having 100 sheep, had 100 sheep. And, and one, got, one got lost, one sort of wandered away. And, and Jesus, Jesus made this point, he, he asked the crowd that day, he said, how many of you would leave the 99 and go after the one. Well, he knew what they were all thinking. Well, everybody would. Because, because there's safety in the 99. Everybody in the 99, they're protected, they're good, because there's, there's power and you're at your best when you were together. That's the reason we have life groups here at Life United. We believe you can only be at your best when you're connected in your relationships and you're, you're safer that way, you're better that way. And so there was one, he said, that wandered off and... And everybody was like, yeah, we'd go after that one. Why? Because that one by itself really has no hope. That one over by itself that's wandering. Let me just say this about wandering. You, you never wander anywhere that's good. Are you following this? A person that wanders, it's like, you know, they, they don't wake up and go, oh, this is such an amazing place. How did I get here? I just wandered here. Most of the time, when a person wanders, what happens is that they, 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 they wander and they're like, what in the world have I done? How did I get here? How is it that I have no hope? Well, Jesus' heart is leave the 99 and go after the one that doesn't have any hope. This morning, my guess is that you're part of a flock. You're part of Life United. You, you, you're connected on some level here. If you're not part of a dream team, get on the dream team. Man, it just does something in your life, does something in your world when you do that. My guess is you're, 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 you're connected here and things are going great for you. But my question is this. What about that one? My last point is the question, 
Who is your one? Who's that one person that, that you, you knew or you know that it, not so long ago they were, they were doing life with you, they were doing life with the church, but, but they wandered? Who is that one? Who is that one that maybe used to serve on the dream team together? And you don't see them around anymore. Who is that one? Or, or maybe, maybe, maybe you're one, the one that you know has sort of wandered away from the faith. Maybe they, they could be in your family. They could be in the workplace. They could be your neighbor. But the question is, everybody's, everybody's got somebody that could be their one. And so as we're, we're, we're rolling up, as Pastor David said earlier, Easter is like right here. I mean, it's like next Sunday. Here's, here's what I'm challenging, challenging to do, uh, challenge you to do. If you already haven't found your one, who is your one between now and next Sunday that you're going to find and you're going to invite them to the Easter service? Because I can tell you when they come here next weekend, they are going to hear a message of hope. They're going to hear a message of hope and you could be the giver of that hope. Don't just think about you. Don't just think about yourself. Think about the one that's wandered and start going, all right, who's my one? Because here's why. You were somebody's one. You were somebody's one at one point. And now it's time for you to be the one who's a giver of hope. So I want you to just come and come to service with me on Easter. Easter Sunday is the easiest time to get people to come and to worship with you. It's the easiest time. So, who is your one? Father, we come to you right now.